Are you ready this morning? Yes. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 12 to 18 will be our text. And I'll remind you that in our recent visits, Paul has been guiding us through the attitude and the actions of walking worthy of the gospel. And last week, he took our minds to the smelting pot of purification to refine our thinking so that we can see that it's the meek that are the mighty. And that's why Jesus would say in the Beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In other words, the meek are the ones who are going to rule and reign with Jesus during the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Now, the world says, ah, the meek are the weak. God says, no, the meek are the mighty. Because it's the humble, same word as meekness, that are exalted by the Lord. And this meekness is manifested, Paul told us, in esteeming others as greater than ourselves. Paul said, you know, if you're walking in meekness, that means not even ever doing anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but instead looking out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so Paul then bears as witness or calls as witness the loftiest of all examples of worthiness of the gospel, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. And he opens that section using Jesus as the example by saying, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, you know what? You need to think like Jesus. Yeah. And that thinking like Jesus was presented to us in the fact that though he is Lord of heaven and earth, he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant, and he humbled himself even to the point of suffering the death of a cross. Now, nobody took Jesus' life from him. Right. He said, I lay it down on my own accord, and I can take it up again. And he indeed has taken it up again, and he is seated at the right hand of majesty on high as intercession for you and I right now. Now, this act of humility exalted him and gave him a name that is above all others. It's a name at which someday every knee will bow and someday every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And sadly, for billions, this is going to take place at the great white throne judgment, where they will bow before him and acknowledge and agree that he is the Lord. So we found that our job right now is to convince people to make that confession now, to agree that Jesus is the Lord now, not to have them make that confession when they stand before God and give an account for their life and why they rejected Christ as Savior and Lord. And this week, our text is going to open again with the word therefore, which means in light of the things we just read, do this. Now, I'll remind you of our first point from last week, that the power of humility is manifested through actions, not intentions. After all, we all know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's the actions that we need to take to make sure that uh, our worthiness of the gospel and how we live our lives is being communicated to others. And we see it in Jesus even on the same night that he was betrayed. On the night of the Last Supper, in John 13, 12 to 17, we're told when he, Jesus, had washed there the disciples' feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an what? An example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you do them. Now we need to remember that amongst the household slaves in Jesus' day, the lowliest of the slaves was assigned the task of washing the feet of visiting travelers. And Jesus didn't just take on the role of a bondservant. He picked the lowest of the low. He picked the one who would have the most menial tasks as an example to his disciples. Now, let me also say this. He wasn't instituting foot washing services. He said, this is an example. This is how you are to humble yourselves within the interactions one with another. Now, Jesus also said this at the Last Supper after he washed the disciples' feet. He said in 14, 15 uh, through 18 of John, if you love me, keep my what? Amen. My commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. Here comes some good news. I will come to you. Jesus is coming again. Yeah. Now, there's much to consider in that compact statement, but primarily what we need to focus on is that Jesus promises another helper. The word another means another of the same kind. In other words, the third member of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who will dwell with them and then be in them after Pentecost. And obviously he is with us today, the Spirit of truth. He is in us today, the spirit of truth. Amen. And this is going to be true until the Lord comes again at the end of the church age to meet us and the dead in Christ in the air. Now, Paul is going to make a statement in our text on a personal level. And he's going to call on the Philippians and therefore all Christians to a life of obedience. Now, he's going to return to the subject of the upcoming verdict before the imperial court and the possibility of a guilty verdict on his part. And he is going to illustrate the fact that he may be coming to the end of his days through the fact that he uh, painted the picture through uh, being poured out as a drink offering, which we're going to explain once we arrive there. Now, we're going to take Paul's personal uh, truth and make it a corporate truth this morning. As Paul was saying, you know what? It may be it for me. Well, corporately, it may be it for us. Amen. Now, here's why, and that's good news this morning. Yeah. Our title this morning, based on what we're looking at and experiencing today, is simply this. Listen, it's time to go home. Yeah. Our title is, It's Time to Go Home. Yeah. Now, as I said, Paul is talking about the potential end of his days personally. But he also mentions the day of Christ. Christ is the Lord, right? So the day of Christ and the day of the Lord are the same thing. And the day of the Lord is always the end of the church age and the beginning of the tribulation when God uh, fulfills that 70th week of Daniel and Christ is fully unveiled in his majesty and glory as the book of Revelation records. Now, what we're going to draw our conclusions from today is going to be our title followed by the opening word, therefore, since it is time to go home, therefore, we need to do these things. And again, these truths aren't specific to the last 
uh, days or the last generation of the church, but our application, I think, has an urgency attached to it that is exclusive to the day in which we live. Listen, it's time to go home. So let's figure out what it is we need to do. Would you stand and read with me, please? Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. And Lord, again, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, thank you for this particular letter at such a time as this and the reminders uh, that we've gleaned already from our brief time uh, in this study. We thank you for the monuments of scripture, uh, the uh, figurative avenue of the giants we've been uh, driving through in our mind's eye. And God, we pray that you speak to our hearts today and remind us of the shortness of the hour and create an urgency for the lost uh, in us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul talks about uh, in his presence, and basically he's looking back to the time when he and Silas first visited Philippi, planted the church there, and their immediate response to the gospel. We know the Philippian jailer and his whole household uh, were saved after Paul and Silas were heard singing hymns at midnight with their feet uh, in stocks and their backs torn apart by the whip. And Paul says, not only did you obey then, but you are in obedience to the word of God now. And he says, you need to continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this has brought about some confusion within Bible commentators over the years, and we need to address what this does not mean. It does not mean we have to work for our salvation. For our salvation is not of works. It is the gift of God. It cannot be earned. Nobody is worthy of it. God has it ex extended it to us as a gift through the blood of his own son. Now, it doesn't mean you have to work for your salvation, but it does mean Paul is encouraging the church to work or live out their salvation with this attitude, the attitude of fear and trembling. In other words, let God work in and through you to do of his will and good pleasure. Aren't we here to do God's will? Yes. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what we ought to be doing since our very moniker means Christ-like. That's what Christian means. Now, we might say their obedience involved the continual translating, in, translating into actions the principles of the gospels that they had believed. The gospel brought them salvation as a free gift, but they were to work it out. And Paul adds with an urgency as though the day of Christ is at hand. Now, a little more housekeeping here, because Paul said in Romans 8, 15 to 17, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together with Him. So in our text, Paul says that we are to have fear, fear the Lord. And then here he says in Romans, we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. And that tells us that there is a distinction between the primal fears of life and the fear of adversaries. Remember, Paul said, don't be in any way terrified by your adversaries. But here he is talking about an attitude of reverent awe toward God. That's how we're to work out our salvation with an attitude of reverent awe toward God. Now, this is one of the main reasons I believe we need to be careful. We need to know our Bibles. We need to understand truth. And that's why we study it line upon line, precept upon precept here every week. Amen. Amen. And this is why we need to be careful of movements like we see in the church today, like the free grace and hyper grace movements. They are rampant in the church today. And basically, there are those who say repentance is limited to a change of mind. In other words, you change your mind about who Jesus is. Well, listen, when God changes your mind and you have the mind of Christ, you seek to live in accordance with the Word of God. And there are those who say through the basic theology or doctrine of antinomianism that there is no law. There's nothing for us as Christians to obey. We receive the free gift of salvation, and that's the end of the story. Get saved. We'll see you in heaven when you get there. What happens in between is of no consequence. And that's from the book of Second Opinions. It is not in our Bibles. Amen? Yes. Now, we are to have reverent awe for God. And when you have reverent awe for God, you live in accordance with His Word. And Jesus went as far to say that obeying His commandments is proof that you love Him. Now, the free gift of our salvation can be a workout sometimes. Yes. Amen? Yes. It can be a workout sometimes. It's not always easy. We're going against the flow in these last days, especially we're going in the opposite direction of culture. What we believe is viewed as narrow. And you know why it's viewed as narrow? Because it is narrow. It's viewed as difficult. You know why? It is difficult. We're not on the broad path. We're on the narrow path. And the narrow path is an uphill path. We're not on the downward path or on the downslope, the broad path where the way is easy and many have found it. But listen, for those alive when the day of Christ is at hand and it's time to go home, we need to remember this. Are you ready? Yeah. It's time to go home. Therefore, live and plan every day as though it could be your last. Live and plan every day as though it could be your last. And listen, this is not profound. This is not new. This is normal Christian thinking. But the fact is we are moving from the personal to the corporate. Because, yes, people individually are going home right now. All over the world, Christians are dying and going into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we're talking about the group plan here. We're talking about the corporate move from this life into the next in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And listen, we are living in an exclusive time period. We are living in the time of the signs. We are living when there are Jews in Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years. We are living where there is a nation of Israel. We are living where, for the, in a time where, the, for the first time in history, I'm getting excited, I better slow down. 
were the nations named in Ezekiel almost 3,000 years ago are now operating in coalition with one another, poised to strike from the north the nation of Israel. We are living at a time for the first time in church history where the nations who are going to protest that invasion are befriending Israel and normalizing ties with them. Listen, we are living in the age of the intolerance of sound doctrine. We are living in the age of the preference of ear-tickling fables in the church. We are living in the perilous times of 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, which are exclusive to the last days. We are living in days that are like those of Noah. We are living in times of international ethnic tensions, simultaneous with wars and rumors of wars, cosmological and geological anomalies. We are living in the age of plagues and pestilence to say nothing of growing famines and food shortages around the world. It's time to go home. And listen, every Christian ought to live like that every day of their life, no matter when they live. But we live in the age of the likelihood of any day being our last day corporately. And Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in what? Holy conduct and godliness. Peter makes a connection between how we express our Christian life in the last days through holy conduct and our godliness and the days before all things changing forever on the earth. And eventually there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and uh, the new Jerusalem will be our eternal home. Uh, I'm ready for an address change today, aren't you? With all of you. Now, this holy conduct has to have a defining source and that is scripture. It's not our opinion. It's not culture. It's not trends in society. And listen, we can't take that proverbial salad bar approach to what's relevant from Scripture today and what is not. Listen, the whole Bible is the Word of God. And what obedience looked like in Philippi, it looks like in Orange County today. It's the same exact thing. Obedience is not anything new today within Christendom. It is what it has always been. Now, let me give you an example that's relevant to, I think, our day in particular, though uh, the, the, the abuse of this has been long with the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 25, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are what? Out of your mind. But if all prophesy, speaking by divine inspiration, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he's convicted by all, because he heard words he can understand, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will do what? Worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now, let me ask you a question. Are there churches that people see on TV who have a circus-like, out-of-control atmosphere where their conclusion is, what a bunch of nuts. It's all the time. You see it all over on television. And they come away with the belief that these people are out of their minds. 
And this is why Paul said that the gifts which are for today, yes. amen, yes. tongues is for today, healing is for today, yes. miracles are for today, yes. words of knowledge are for today. Listen, the Holy Spirit didn't go anywhere. He's still with us, so he's still operating in the same manner. He's still distributing his gifts individually as he wills. But Paul said this, hey, listen up, church. When you get together and the gift of tongues is operating, two or three people, and then interpret that. If there's no interpreter, let the tongue speaker be quiet. So if the whole church is speaking in tongues simultaneously, they are outside the boundaries of the Word of God. And the conclusion is, is that these people are out of their mind. And their conclusion, therefore, has to be believing in God is for people who are nuts. This is why Paul said it's words that can be understood that are crucial inside the church meeting room. And I love how gracious and awesome what a joy it was to hear Pastor Chuck. Amen. Amen. And I had seen him handle this during a church service. And Pastor Chuck had the attitude and he had shared with all of us on multiple occasions. You know, when somebody stands up during a church service and starts to speak in tongues, his attitude was, God's already speaking. And he doesn't interrupt himself. He's speaking through his presented word. So if somebody stands up in church and starts speaking in tongues, and I've seen Pastor Chuck do this, he would say, let's wait for the interpretation. And when the interpretation would not come, he would just simply say, that was not of the Lord, and get right back to his message. Listen, it matters how we operate within the gifts. We can't just say, well, I think it's okay, because it doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what God says. And listen, we're down to kind of the, the Nat's eyebrow type of thing, so to speak. But this is important. We need to obey everything that God says as God said it. And we can't say, well, you know, there's lots of people doing this. It's all over TV. I've seen it. These people are having these wonderful experiences. So what? If God said, don't do it, don't do it. If God said, do it like this, do it like this. If he said no interpretation, no tongues, then that's exactly what he means. And listen, this is important because if we would just do what he says, more people would say, God is truly among you. Not you're a bunch of whack jobs. You're a bunch of crazies who have lost your minds. And we've all seen this. I will never, ever forget watching Larry King one time. And the, there was a segment where... He was showing the circus atmosphere, barking and howling in the spirit through a man who dubbed himself the Holy Ghost bartender. Now, that's about as shameful as you can get. Amen. Amen. But he would he would distribute by throwing the Holy Spirit at people and they would fall on the ground and break into uncontrollable laughter or start barking like a dog. And he ran Larry King ran this whole segment on these things that people would watch and say, those people have lost their mind. And the very next segment was Donnie and Marie Osmond talking about the loss of their father and how their faith got them through. And they were seated and in their right mind, and they were talking about what Mormonism meant to them, which, by the way, is heretical. It is heretical, make no mistake. You can be a good person, a nice person, Go door to door and be committed to your cause and still be a heretic. Yes. 
It is heretical. They start off wrong in the beginning. Their Elohim is a, is a former human being who achieved God's status. Our Elohim is the God who has always existed and was never a human being. He's always been God. But the fact is, I thought, how shameful for the church that there's a bunch of Looney Tunes followed by two people saying our faith really got us through and their faith was in something that could not get them into heaven. This is why Paul is saying, hey, you know what? Conduct matters. Obedience matters. Right down to everything that the Lord has to say about even the operation of the gifts within the church setting. And listen, this is just one of many examples, but it's probably the most public that we see uh, in the world today. The disregard for scriptural boundaries and the creation of confusion with the operations of the gifts. And you know what the sad consequence is? On top of the fact that people in the world thinking we're nuts, people shy away from the gifts. And listen, we need the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? We need to operate within the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, Paul would say this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, I plead with you, I earnestly implore you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen what the end result of that kind of living is. That you may, what's the next word? Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, it's time to go home. And we need to spend all day, every day, as living proof of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And therefore, listen this morning, you still here? Listen. This is no time for disobedience on any level. On any level. Even a matter like we see so many divided opinions. We'll talk about those kind of things here in a moment. About the gifts of the Spirit. We need to obey God's Word always. It's always been true, but especially now because it's time to go home. And who wants to be doing something stupid or sinful when the voice of the archangel sounds and the trumpet of God blasts, and we meet the Lord in the air. Don't we want to be in a moment of obedience, proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God when the trumpet sounds? Well, it's time to go home. So let's make sure we are walking and living according to the word and working out our salvation with reverent awe for God. Amen? Amen? Now, 14 and 16 through 16, Paul says, Do, what's the next word? All things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now here Paul says, as we're working out with reverent awe, God's will and good pleasure in our day-to-day lives, we are to do so without complaining and disputing. And the end result being is that we stand out in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, shining as blameless, harmless, and faultless children of God. And he says how you do that is by holding fast to the word of life. What's the word of life? I'll give you a hint. This is the word of life. Amen? 
Now, in Deuteronomy 32, 4 to 5, we find a little bit of clarity on what Paul's talking about. He says, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. Who's he talking about? A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation, quoted here in our verses. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And Paul's quote of verse 15, uh, in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 32.5, is in reference to the chosen people of God and their wilderness wanderings and their constant complaining and disputing during that season. And I couldn't help but think, you know, this is where most of our complaining and disputing comes from. When we're feeling like we're in a, in a wilderness season or one of those proverbial dry times, the times where we feel like, uh, you know, maybe God is not paying attention to us as we would want him to, or he, he hasn't seen our need or what's going on in our lives and how desperate we are in our own personal situation, or maybe that we feel like uh, David did in Psalm 119. It's time for you to act, O Lord. Maybe we're in one of those seasons right now, and I think we've all been there, done that, especially of late. But it's during these times where we find ourselves maybe tempted to complain or, and, and you know, <laughs> I got to be honest with you, I've had some uh, recent, uh, come on, Lord, <laughs> moments. You know, enough already. Yes. I'm tired of limping. I'm tired of having to sit at the pulpit. I mean, we all get pushed into those things sometimes. Amen. And there's a difference in speaking to God your frustrations and speaking uh, to God that you're frustrated with Him. I'm just asking Him, I know you can do stuff, do stuff for me. I'm tired of all this stuff. And I, you've been there, right? You're not leaving me hanging up here. I can look up. Okay, good. We're all in this together. Now, now think about what happened with the Israelites. Things started going not so well, we'll say. And you know what happened? The past got diminished. And they even went as far to say, you know what? We ate fish every day in Egypt. We had melons and leeks and onions and garlics, and they forgot all about the taskmaster's whip because of the pressures they were in during the wilderness. And listen, one of the most overlooked aspects of being a believer is that many times when you're doing better than you've ever done before spiritually, that's when things get wonky personally. When you're doing great, something comes in and sidelines you. Anybody ever got a flat tire at the worst opportune moment? Had the washing machine break when it was the worst time financially? Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? And you know what, God, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I've been praying. I've been telling people about Jesus. I've been regular in my church attendance. I've been studying your word. I've been doing all these things. And then this happens. Why did this happen? And listen, we need to remember during these times, especially that sometimes God will lead you into difficulty for the glory he receives from getting you out. He will put you in the hard place so only he can get you out from it. And we see this even with the children of Israel. Immediately on their exodus from Egypt, he led them to a place that was not a favorable position before they even started the wilderness journey. He led them to a place called the Mouth of Gorges. The uh, uh, campground on the other side was a, the Master of Storms, a place called Baal Zaphon. He led them to another place that was called the Well of Bitterness. It was a 250-foot deep well that the water was so bitter, they said it wasn't even fit for a camel to drink. 
And on the other side of them was the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army pursuing after them hot on their heels. And God told them to park there. You know why? I'm going to split that sea and close it back over those Egyptians. And yet it's in those moments where the pressures are the greatest, where we get pushed into these things where it's like, oh, Lord, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? Why are you so far from helping me when he's just getting ready to do something that will absolutely stun you? Because that's what he does. Remember, the Philippians were dealing with the pressures of growing persecution. And the worst thing to happen during a time of growing persecution was for pride and division to creep into the church. So Paul said, here's what you do to fight it. Esteem others better than yourselves. Look out for the interests of others and not just for your own. And he said, and do that without complaining and disputing. Now, easier read than done, right? Now, Hebrews says this about the same group, uh, the wilderness wanderers. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, the wilderness wanderers, that is. Why? It was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, obviously, the rest in view in Hebrews is the eternal rest that we're all looking forward to. And even though God established a plan of redemption before the foundations of the world, the knowledge of God's plan was not mixed with faith. And that's why Hebrews would go on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him in Hebrews eleven six. Now, Paul talks about living blameless. And the word blameless and the word fault in our verses are the same Greek word. And they don't mean sinless. There are people today who teach the doctrine of sinless perfection. Nobody's going to be perfect in this life. We're going to have to put off these old tents and put on a moral incorruptibility before we'll be like Jesus. Amen? How fast that's going to happen? Moment twinkling of an eye. Now, what blameless and without fault mean are having overcome basic sins. They indicate a level of spiritual maturity. As a matter of fact, this is a qualifying factor of those, according to 1 Timothy 3, who desire the office of a bishop. They have to have overcome basic sins. And that level of spiritual maturity, or having overcome basic sins, is what allows them and us to shine as lights in a dark world. Now, the Greek word Paul uses for shine is phosteres. And if you were reading from the Greek Old Testament, you would find in Genesis 1 to 14, when the sun, moon, and stars are being created, the word phosteres is the Greek word used there. Now, the reason this is important is that the sun, moon, and stars don't shine for their own sake. They shine to provide light for the world. And Paul is saying, that's your job. The same should be true of us. We should live in the light for the sake of others. Now, one of the commentators I like, a man named F.F. Bruce, he, he uh, quoted this. I thought this was worthy of mention this morning. He said, the church has been called a society that exists for the benefit of its non-members. The church has been called a society that exists for the benefit of non-members. In other words, we exist for the purpose of reaching other people. We are the light of the world so other people can see the light. 
It isn't for our own personal benefit, just like the sun, moon, and stars aren't created for their own ability to shine in glory. They cast light on the earth. Paul says we're to cast light on the world by being those lights. Now, here's our point. Listen, it's time to go home. Therefore, do not allow the increasing darkness to encroach upon being light. It's time to go home. Therefore, do not allow the increasing darkness to encroach upon being a light. Now listen, things are exactly as they should be right before we go home. They are exactly like the Bible said. It's going to be in the last days. Now, I hear a lot of people, and uh, believe me, we need to be praying for a great awakening in America and around the world. And we still need to be praying as we've been praying for generations that the reason the United States is not in the prophetic scene of the last days is because the rapture cleans this place out. We need to keep praying for that, right? But the Bible does not say in any way, shape, or form that things are going to get better and better and better. Closer to the end, they're going to get worse and worse and worse. Evil is going to be more evil than it's ever been before. And, you know, we've all had those moments where we thought, ah, things can't get any worse, and then they do. I don't think they can get any worse. I suppose maybe there's some lower level of hell uh, than what we are experiencing right now, but I got to tell you, when you're protecting the right to take the life of innocent children in the womb, you can't get beneath that. That's as low as humanity can stoop. And I believe that it is time for us to go home. Good is called evil and evil is called good. Fiction has replaced facts. Most of the church won't put up with sound doctrine. They want to have their ears tickled, complaining and disputing are rampant all around us. And Paul said to the beloved church at Philippi, I don't want what happened in the Exodus to happen to you. Things are hard, so look out for each other. Attacks are increasing, and the enemy always tries to pit us against one another and even cause us to complain against God if he can. And this is important as complaining and disputing encroaches on our ability to be light in a dark world. And Paul says in verse 16, we are to, listen, he says we are to hold forth the word of life. Now the Greek word translated as the two words holding fast in English can mean to hold on to. And that's a valid translation. But it also can mean to hold forth in the sense of presentation. And we need to do both. Because the fact is, if you're not holding fast to the word of life, you can't hold forth the word of life. And we need to be hanging on to God's word and walking according to it in these last days. After Paul, after all, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 4, 1-5, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and caretakers or stewards of the mysteries of God. Boy, what a high calling that is. Amen? Amen. Moreover, it is suggested. It is required in caretakers or stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from who? Come from God. Paul well understood that someday he would give an account to the Lord for his teaching. And it was required as a caretaker of the word of God that he be found faithful. 
faithful. Now, the interesting thing about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians and here in Philippians is that the fruit of his ministry will be measured to a degree by the lives of those who heard and heeded it. I recently received an invitation from a literally world-famous pastor. A world-famous pastor sent me a personal invitation with my name on it. I'll be signing autographs after the service if you like. Now, you know what the invitation was to? To come and learn how to grow this church based on how he grew that church. Uh, I, I've already um, got the proper program for growing the church, and that is preach the apostolic doctrines that God will add to the church daily, those being saved. So we just stick to the book, amen? God will grow the church. If he wants this, this church to be, you know, one of the, whatever, what is the, the latest? Is it a giga church, mega church, whatever? We just need to be a church, amen? And we need to honor the word of God. And, and growth is up to him. He does what he wants, where he wants. And listen, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, Paul said this to young Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in kingdom? What's he say? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Here's what preaching the word does. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. There's patience and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, in other words, instead of all that, do this. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Amen. Now listen, I get sent stuff all the time. I'm sure all of you see stuff on social media as well. And it's just grieved me a lot more lately than uh, it has in time past to see churches packed with people who don't hear the word of God. And there are no Bible verses mentioned or maybe something Jesus said is alluded to. And it grieves me for two reasons. One, it grieves me because that pastor is going to give an account for what he did and how he taught. And the second thing that grieves me is the fact that the attendees are hearing self-help messages instead of our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth messages. Many today are being taught how to avoid afflictions instead of how to endure them. And therefore, far too many people are not being equipped with how to live without complaining and disputing, which is an urgent need, especially when it's time to go home. And it's time to go home. There are churches on the social justice bandwagon today. And the problem with this, are you here this morning? Yeah. The problem with this is they're trying to stop what cannot be fixed apart from preaching the word. Yeah. Amen. Preaching the word of God is the solution for all society's worlds. Preaching the word of God is the only thing that can change people. Preaching the word of God that can, is the only thing that can convey us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It can't happen any other way. There's no way to change the heart. There's no way to change the mind. It is deceitful above all things who can know it. The Lord knows the heart, and He is the only heart surgeon in the universe who can actually change it. Yeah. 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 And it comes by preaching 
the word. And in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good, do, your, do your good works matter? Yes. Apparently, according to Jesus, they do. And glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, let's not uh, allow the increasing darkness to encroach upon our being the light. Jesus didn't say we are a light. He said we are the light. We are the only source of light in the world. And we have to hold forth that light by holding fast to that light so others can see the mighty hand of God at work in and through our lives and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And like Paul, and I'm sure you would agree, I don't want to be among those who ran and labored in vain. And listen, the only thing in this world that does not return void 100% of the time is the almighty word of God. Amen. Now, let's look at 17 and 18, and then we'll wrap it up. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, Paul returns to the subject of his impending trial before the imperial court, standing before Caesar as he requested, and he poses the possibility that he's at the end of his ministry time on earth through the word picture of being poured out as a drink offering. And in the sacrificial system of the Jews, that Paul would be very familiar with what a burnt offering or a grain offering was offered before the Lord. The last thing that would happen is a cup of wine or olive oil would be poured out on the sacrifice. And Paul is likening himself and his ministry to that moment in the process. He's saying, it's possible. It's time for me to go home. Now, remember what he said in 121 and 25 of Philippians, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I can't tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is what? Far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. And Paul says, if this is it for me, I'm glad. And I rejoice that the offering I'm being poured out on is your sacrifice and service of faith to God. Therefore, you can be glad and rejoice with me, no matter what the verdict is that is handed down from Caesar. Now, here's our last truth for the day. And listen, it's time to go home. Therefore, reaching others is our top priority. Reaching others is our top priority. Now, we could just simply look at this as the rest of our first point. We ought to live every day as though it could be our last day with reaching others as our top priority. That's what we need to focus on in these last days. And that's why Paul will tell the church in Ephesus in 5, 15 to 16, see then that you walk exactly, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, not wasting time, because the days are what? Now, do we live in evil days? Yes. Absolutely. Now, 
Anybody here ever been to Costco? <laughs> Costco at Christmas? Spent way too much time there than you'd like to. I'm sure most of you have gone through your own uh, method of calculation as to the quickest line. I know I have mine. Uh, examining the person operating the uh, cash register, counting the number of items per cart, divided by the number of carts. And I put all that together and with absolute stunning accuracy, pick the slowest line every time. <laughs> so I have learned this. Go about a half hour before closing time. Because, man, they are moving and shaking at closing time. And you can get in and out of there. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. You go about half hour, 45 minutes before they're getting ready to close, and you will be out of there zippy-de-doo-dah with everything that you wanted. That's my strategy now. And I don't have to count carts or multiply items or examine the efficiency of the person at the register, any of those things, because it's time to go home for them. So they are moving and shaking. Now, we recognize when we're getting ready to go on vacation, there's a level of excitement that begins to raise the closer we get to the day of departure. And right at the end, there's a flurry of activity right before you leave. Why? You don't want to do anything to delay the moment of departure. I believe we need, and I believe it's time to have an it's time to go home attitude in relation to those whom we need or no need to hear the gospel. And Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 44, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is a, wise, a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household, there's the caretaker, their stewardship, to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant who is master when he what? When he what? Comes. Comes. We'll find so doing. But surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all the, his goods. That means he'll reign with Christ. Now, the statement of Jesus in verse 44 is interesting in the Olivet Discourse because this is specific and detailed information about the signs of his coming. And yet he says he's coming at an unexpected time. Paul says the day won't overtake us as a thief in 1 Thessalonians 5. Jesus said in Luke 21, 18, you'll know when your redemption is near and it's time to look up. And that means that the time of the signs that indicate his coming is near is knowable and visible, but the day and the hour is not at the exact moment in time. It will come suddenly and by surprise and uh, unexpectedly on many. And listen, the signs are all around us that it's time to go home. And every day could be that day these days. The day when the archangel shouts, the day when the trumpet of God sounds. The day when the dead in Christ are raised bodily and reunited with their spirits that have been in heaven. The day when we join them and the Lord in the air, followed by a time of trouble unlike any since man has been on the face of the earth. The face of the earth is going to begin. Listen, it's time to go home. And therefore we need to tell anyone and everyone who will listen, Jesus died to set them free from the consequences of their sin. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Amen. Listen, we need to be more bold in these last days. We need to speak the truth and we need to speak it in love because there's a lot of nonsense that's floated around out there and a lot of it has come from the quote-unquote church. 
And listen, I've shared this with you before, but it just popped into my head and heart, and I believe it's from the Lord right now. We have a, a lot of people who love to say and quote today, we're all God's children. We need to say, no, we're not. We're not all God's children. You aren't God's child until you're adopted by God. And you're not adopted by God until you receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And you can only go to heaven if you're God's child. And you can only be God's child if you're born again. No, if you're not born again, you're not God's child. Is that true? Well, you know, that's pretty strong. That's pretty harsh. Let me remind you of this guy named Jesus who said, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs and sepulchers full of dead men's bones. You know what? When somebody is infringing upon the integrity of the gospel, it's time to get our hackles up. And I don't know what hackles are, but they need to be up. <laughs> and we need to be defenders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when somebody tells a lie, we need to confront it with the truth. We're not all God's children. As many as received him, John 1, 12, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. That's it. And that's truth. And that's truth that makes free. So when somebody says something to the contrary, we need to be bold enough. We need to care enough about their perishing souls to straighten them out. Well, they're probably not going to like it. Well, they're going to like hell even less. And the tribulation even less. And we need to love them enough to be bold in these last days. Because I'm telling you, I believe it with all of my heart that it's time to go home. And the corporate gathering of the church could happen at any moment, even today. You know, we've always talked about the imminency of the rapture. And I think that would be more appropriately understood as the suddenness of the rapture. Because there are certain things that are indicative of the last day's scenario, the rebirth of the nation of Israel and all these other things. And if the rapture is pre-tribulation, and it is, if the rapture is pre-tribulation, and it is, then a lot of things have to be in place. And they are in place. We don't know the day or the hour. But the perilous times are here. The days of Noah are here. The failure to endure sound doctrine is here. Every single thing Jesus said that would be happening when it's time for him to come get his church are happening right now. It's time to go home. So let's be telling people, we're about to go home. And you know, you just never know. Somebody may say, I want to go too. Well, let me tell you how to get there. You must be born again. And as Jesus told Nicodemus, you know what? If you're not, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. You have to be. You have to be. Well, what about all these other religions? I've been asked that question. I'm sure most of you have been asked that. What about them? Muhammad's still in a grave. Every other religious leader that founded some type of system of religion in the world, they're still dead. Jesus is alive. There wasn't any story circulated about him ascending into heaven. It happened in front of eyewitnesses. 500 people at one time saw him alive after he had been dead and in the grave for three days. 500 people at one time. You couldn't get 500 people today to agree on anything. (laughs) But 500 people in one setting at one time saw the resurrected Jesus Christ after he had been dead and laid in the tomb for three days. Jesus is alive. 
And there's another reason we know he's alive. Because you were once dead, and now you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And listen, I, I, I don't want to say anymore time is short. Time is up. Time is up. He's coming. He's coming. If everything, and I've told you this before, and I'll say it again this morning, this might be, no, it's not third service yet. <laughs> if Jesus doesn't come soon, we're going to have to rethink our whole eschatological package. Because we've been wrong about everything. But I don't think we're wrong about everything because everything that we believe is written in the Bible. And it's all happening right now. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but it's time to go home. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Therefore, you also be ready. Get people ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home.